We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to talk about chronological snobbery and learning the lessons of history and how one of my mentors once told me that the best predictor of future behavior is always past behavior. So today's show is about learning the lessons of time. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Okay, I want to wrap up this week by talking about chronological snobbery. Uh, The arrogance of living in the moment. And how we think that the ideas we came up with five minutes ago should trump all of the lessons of history. And that we can just discard everything that our fathers taught us and our forefathers taught them. And that their forefathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers taught them. That we can just set all of that aside because we're so smart. We're so smug. And we know more today than everybody that preceded us. I'm going to do that within the context of reminding you what George Santayana said. That he who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them. We've talked about that before on this show. You've heard other people share that quote from George Santayana. Again, one more time, he who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them. George Santayana is obviously elevating the wisdom of the past, the lessons of time, those things that have been passed on to us through the writers of history. And that if we don't learn those lessons and honor them, we're doomed to suffer the fate of those that preceded us. We might want to attend to history and tradition, the ideas that have stood the test of time. And then I want to remind you of C.S. Lewis's admonition, where he talked about chronological snobbery. Same thing. It's the same idea here. It's just coming from C.S. Lewis rather than George Santayana, where Lewis said that when we elevate the modern, the popular, over and above the historical and the traditional, we are often guilty of what he called chronological snobbery, thinking that the new is always better than the old. And isn't that the poster child of what's wrong with us today? We have millennials who think they know so much more than anybody else who's 30 years old or older. We have have Gen Zers who think millennials are antiquated and stupid. And that only those ideas that come with Generation Z are ideas that should be attended to. Oh, we ignore the fact that history teaches us that socialism doesn't work, never has, and never will. Oh, we ignore the time-tested truth that communism always results in butchery and death and not freedom and dignity. Oh, it doesn't matter if those ideas have been tried before and failed 
Because in our chronological snobbery, in our youthful hubris and arrogance, we know that we can do it better this time. And that the only reason those things failed in the past is because our fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles, those people that preceded us, were they're not as smart as we are. We're chronological snobs, and we know we can do it better this time. We fail to learn the lessons of history, and therefore we're doomed to repeat them. Because we are arrogant. We're snobs. We're boastful. We're, we are braggarts. And we think that our ideas are always so much better than anybody half a day older than us. This is the nature of today's show. And what I'm going to do is talk about some of the oldest ideas that have been recorded in human history and what they tell us about our current day. And I'm going to go back to about 3,000 years ago to two of the Old Testament prophets, the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Amos. What did they tell us? Were their words hauntingly prophetic for our time as well as their own? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So... One of the things that I do, not every day, not every week, and sometimes I don't even do it every month, but one of the things I do is uh, I go back and read the Old Testament prophets. And uh, sometimes I'll post quotes from those prophets on my Facebook page. And the interesting thing is, when I do that, those posts, with no commentary, all I do is post the quotes from the Old Testament prophets, whether it be Jeremiah, Micah, whether it be Isaiah or, in the case of today's show, Amos. When I go back and I post those quotes from those prophets with no commentary, and I just cite the author, I don't even cite the chapters and verses. I just post the quote, and then I'll put Amos, or I'll put Jeremiah, or I'll cite Isaiah or Micah. What happens when I post those things on my Facebook is really quite interesting because I get more traffic from those posts than on a lot of the other stuff I post, sometimes it's the greatest amount of likes and shares of anything I do. Now, I've often found that curious because if I were to write my articles for the Washington Times or if I were to decide what topic to, to uh, share with you on this particular show, based on the traffic that I get on Facebook, I would go back and I would use that material because that seems to garner the most interest. And if Facebook is interested in it, then you might conclude that the readers of the Washington Times or the listeners of the Rebellion would be equally interested in that material, in that commentary, in those quotes, right? But I, I haven't done that. I don't know why. I don't know why I haven't done that, but today I'm going to. So I'm going to share with you a couple a couple series of quotes. Now, I, I am not giving you the whole block paragraph. I'm, I'm choosing to... Um, I'm choosing to pull out sentences from the paragraphs from these prophets that I think are pertinent to uh, to today's situation. Those things that seem to scream into the public square in contemporary times as well as it did back 2,800, 3,000 years ago when these authors actually penned these words. So again, I want to do this within the context of C.S. Lewis and George Santayana. And David McKenna, 
I didn't mention him before the break, but let me do so as I segue into these quotes from Amos and Isaiah today. One of my mentors, who was a very successful college and university president, as well as a seminary president, is a gentleman by the name of Dr. David McKenna. I've mentioned him before on this show. Very successful at a very young age. He was the youngest college president in the nation when he first assumed the presidency of Spring Arbor University, my alma mater up in Michigan. I can't remember for sure, but he was in his 30s when he assumed that role. And then he became the president of Seattle Pacific University. And then he became the president of Asbury Theological Seminary. Throughout the course of his career, he was actually one of the two finalists for Ronald Reagan's Secretary of Education. Now, he didn't receive it, obviously, because you, you don't remember him serving in that role, but he was one of the final two. So he was very respected, still is very respected. Dr. David McKenna. We don't agree on everything. We disagree on a lot when it comes to political solutions to our time. But Dr. McKenna had a golden tongue, and he was a prolific reader and writer, and he had some wisdom to share. And one of the things he said that I'll never forget is this. The best predictor of future behavior is always past behavior. It, very simple, very clear, but very true. The best predictor of future behavior is always past behavior. Essentially what he's saying, within the context of his profession, and as he's mentoring and giving advice and counsel to younger college presidents that are coming up behind him, such as myself, is look at the behavior of those people that you're thinking of hiring and bringing on board as your faculty, your staff, your administration. Look at their past behavior because what they've done in the past is the best predictor of what they'll do in the future. If they were hardworking then, they'll be hardworking now. If they were honest then, they will be honest now. However, if they were lazy then, they're going to be lazy now. They're not going to change. And if they were disloyal or dishonest back then, don't hire them. Don't bring them on board because they will continue to behave the same way in the future. The tiger isn't going to change his stripes. The best predictor of future behavior is always past behavior. So make sure you do your reference checks. Make sure you figure out who this person is. Make sure you kick over every rock to see if there are any snakes slithering underneath it, because if there are, those snakes aren't going to go away. This guy will carry them with him when he joins your team. If he backstabbed somebody back then, he's going to backstab you. That was Dr. McKenna's wisdom. Sidebar here, some of you listening may say, well, that's not a very redemptive worldview. It's kind of fatalistic, isn't it? Uh, as a Christian, don't you believe in repentance, confession, and redemption, and, and uh, the, the ability of a person to change? Yes, I do, and so did Dr. McKenna. Uh, the, the, this, this worldview, this idea, this little bit of wisdom that he's passing on is uh, worldly wisdom, if you will. It, it isn't wisdom that takes into consideration the fact that a person can be born again and become a new creation in Christ. And McKenna believed that. But he wanted to see proof that that conversion was real before he brought somebody on board. 
So if you had somebody that was a criminal in the past and got indicted and sent to prison and they changed their life dramatically and proved that throughout through the course of time, somebody like Chuck Colson, for example, Dr. McKenna would have embraced them immediately and said, okay, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior because Chuck Colson's past behavior demonstrates the sincerity of his conversion experience. He's a new creation of Christ. He's been born again. The new Chuck Colson is not the old Chuck Colson. The old has died. Behold, the new has come. This is straight out of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's admonition to the church of Corinth, that Christians do change their stripes, but that change is proven through their behavior. You know, their, their ideas bear fruit, bear good consequences, and thus give the proof of that new life in Christ. So Dr. McKenna wasn't setting aside any of that. He was clearly acknowledging it. But uh, as Ronald Reagan said, trust but, ver- but verify. One more time on that. Trust but verify, right? All right. So within the context of George Santayana, he who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them, and C.S. Lewis, chronological snobbery, that isn't it interesting that with youth we become very arrogant and proud and boastful within the context of our ideas being better than anybody else's ideas that preceded us. One of the ways of looking at that is how many times have you heard somebody say that when your son is 14, 15, 16, 17, you're an idiot. You don't know anything. But when your son turns 25, 30, 35, all of a sudden you become a very wise man. You know, what's the moral to that story? The arrogance of adolescence, the arrogance of the teen years, causes you to disregard any of the direction, the advice, the discipline of your father and mother. But all of a sudden, when you grow up, when you grow from your teens into your mid-20s and as you enter your 30s, all of a sudden, the wisdom of your mom and dad starts to make sense. They were pretty smart after all. This is a way of talking about what C.S. Lewis dubbed chronological snobbery. So, in the... In the spirit of David McKenna, C.S. Lewis, and George Santayana, let's go back and read something. <clears throat> Excuse me. Read a little bit from the some of the oldest ideas that we have recorded in human history, ideas that have stood the test of time, ideas that might have something to tell us about where we are today. The book of Amos, written by the prophet Amos, uh, one of the minor prophets, We date that to the 8th century B.C., okay, so 800 years or thereabout before Christ. Uh, This is a very old book, obviously. Now, what did Amos have to say? I want you to listen to this excerpt from one of these Old Testament prophets. Thus says the Lord God, An adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Woe to those who are at ease and those who feel secure. I abhor the pride. I hate the strongholds. The great house shall be struck down into fragments. Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. The eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground except I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, close quote. 
Now, I posted this a couple days ago on Facebook, and it's got hundreds and hundreds of likes and reposts and shares. I want to read that passage one more time for you from the book of Amos that's over 2,800 years old. Some of the oldest ideas that have been preserved in antiquity for us to read today. Does this book have anything to say to us today? Should we learn the lessons of history from what Amos is saying? Should we set aside our chronological snobbery and attend to these ancient words, this ancient wisdom, this prophetic voice? Should we read this book within the context of what David McKenna told us and that the best predictor of future behavior is always past behavior? So let's look to the past, attend to these wise ideas that have been around for a while, and maybe, just maybe, consider them to be a little bit better than the ideas that we came up with five minutes ago. That's my point, and I think that's why this quote resonates with social media. Here it is again. Thus says the Lord God, An adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses, and your strongholds will be plundered. Woe to those who are at ease and those who feel secure. God says, I abhor the pride. I hate your strongholds. The great house shall be struck down into fragments. Behold, behold, excuse me, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. And the eyes of the Lord God are upon this sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. Except, I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. Close quote. Amos was warning God's chosen people the house of Jacob, Israel. He was warning them. You all have ignored the laws of God. He's taken care of you. He's honored you. He's blessed you, as long as you stay within the fences of his freedom. But you're ignoring that. In your arrogance, you've discarded all of that. And you're taking solace in your defenses, in your strongholds. Uh, in the strength of your borders, your walls, your, your, your military, your weapons. You arrogantly think these things are going to preserve your freedom and your liberty, your country, your identity. And it ain't going to happen. It's not going to be the case. He says, I will bring down your defenses. I, I hate your strongholds. This stuff's going to be plundered. And he warns the people of Israel, woe to those who are at ease, who feel secure and safe. Your pride is something I abhor. I hate your confidence in your strongholds, in your, in your defense budget, your defense spending, your, your missiles, your weapons, your, your ships, your planes. The great house shall be struck down. Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. The eyes of the Lord are upon this sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. But there is a promise here. He says, I will not destroy it completely. There will be a remnant. Does it speak to you in terms of what we're dealing with today? A sinful kingdom, taking ease, feeling secure, uh, our defenses, our strongholds, will be okay. Nobody can, nobody can take us out or take us down. We're worried too much about that. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. 
ignore these Bible thumpers. Hmm. Well, these Bible thumpers, such as myself, I suppose, are referencing a book that's been around a while, 2,800 years and for this one in particular. Hmm. Maybe we ought to learn the lessons of history. Uh, maybe we're doomed to repeat them if we don't. How about chronological snobbery? Are we so much smarter today than these people were nearly 3,000 years ago? Will our ideas be around 3,000 years hence because of our superior wisdom? Hmm. Well, in the last few minutes, let's go to another Old Testament prophet. This one's Isaiah. Uh, people say that Isaiah was written around 740 B.C., so around the same time frame, let's just say, within 100 years or so, as Amos. Here's some stuff from Isaiah. The children that I have reared have rebelled against me. They are a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Foreigners devour your land. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. I cannot endure iniquity. I'm weary, and I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I'm not going to listen. Your princes are rebels and the companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs for gifts. They do not bring justice. Therefore, I will turn my hand against you. And so a man will be humbled, and each one will be brought low. The Lord God of hosts is taking away your support and supply. The people will oppress one another. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Your guides mislead you. Therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of knowledge. Man is humbled, and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. For all of this, God's anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. He will raise a signal for all the nations from far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily, they will come until cities lie in waste and the Lord removes people. People. He will remove the people. The forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain, again, there's a remnant here, a tenth remain, it will be burned, the nation will be burned, the land will be burned, the cities will be burned like an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The Lord raises the adversaries and stirs up his enemies. For all this, his anger is not turned away. And then Isaiah says this, The people did not turn to him, so the Lord cut off the head and the tail. For those who guide the people had been leading them astray. And therefore the Lord does not rejoice and has no compassion. For everyone is godless and everyone speaks of folly. 
Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Doesn't that sound familiar? When I post this stuff, why does it get so much traction? It's because I don't have to say anything like I'm doing right now on the show. I don't have to provide commentary. If you read it, it sounds like you're reading the nightly news. It sounds like news out of California with Gavin Newsom or news out of Washington, D.C. with Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or AOC or the rest of the squad. It sounds like that stuff, doesn't it? It sounds like Isaiah is speaking to exactly what's going on in our culture today, in our country today, in our courts and in our Congress right now as I speak. It sounds as if Isaiah, who wrote these words just shy of 3,000 years ago, is speaking to our day and our time, doesn't it? I mean, just replace the words Jacob and Israel and Sodom and Gomorrah and put in there America and the United States, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, New York City. Put in our contemporary cities, counties, countries, America, the United Kingdom, France, Spain. Just replace those names, excuse me, replace the names of Israel and Jacob with contemporary names, and we're speaking into our day and our time, aren't we? That's why this stuff gains so much traction and attention when I post it. Again, he who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them. Amos is screaming to us from the halls of antiquity, Wake up! The eyes of the Lord are upon this sinful kingdom, and I'm going to destroy it from the surface of the ground. The great house will be struck down into fragments. Woe to those who are at ease and those who feel secure. I abhor your pride. Your strongholds mean nothing. And then Isaiah is saying that the man is going to be humbled and each one is going to be brought low. Uh, Princes and rebels and their companions are thieves. Does that sound familiar? Hunter Biden, the prince, a rebel, the companion of thieves, and everyone who loves a bribe and runs for gifts is a fool. They're not going after justice. They're ushering in punishment. Woe to those who draw iniquity with the cords of falsehood. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Darkness, light and light, darkness, bitter, sweet and sweet, bitter. Woe to those who are wise and shrewd in their own eyes. Chronological snobbery? It's the poster child. So today's show is simple. Let's attend to the words of Dr. David McKenna. The best predictor of future behavior is always past behavior. And the past behavior that's recorded in these Old Testament prophets is a predictor of what's going to happen tomorrow for us if we don't turn around, repent, confess, reform, and humble ourselves before the ideas, the greatest idea, the truth made flesh and dwelling among us. The Word itself. The truth incarnate. The idea that has stood the test of eternity the idea of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.